Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we don't come to your word as people who know it all. On the contrary, we come to your word as people who need it all. We come to your word to be taught, to be corrected, to be guided. We come to your word in need of supernatural and divine understanding. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit not only help me to teach your word, but that you would give us all ears to hear and to understand. I pray that you be exalted, my Father, this morning among us, and that in all things you be glorified. Be with us, guide all things. Oh, Lord, we need you. Come, open our ears, your servants indeed are listening. In Jesus Christ's name, our Lord, we pray this, Father. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Please, if you would open your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of the Dr. Luke, the 10th chapter. You may also use the insert that is in your, in your bulletins. It seems to me that the reading of this passage is actually shorter than the whole sermon. It's a short passage. It's just a brief little story, which I, I think it's, it's actually extremely powerful, I believe. And so I pray that the Lord will allow me the ability to, to expound on it and to do a teaching that, that will be a blessing to you. Last week... I explained to you the journey of Jesus from Galilee going on his way to Jerusalem. I shared with you that Jesus had finished all of his ministry in Galilee. All of the miracles had been done. All of the teaching that happened most of the miracles of Jesus, most of the teachings of Jesus happened in Galilee. It was after the transfiguration where Jesus experienced a full change of his being in front of at least four of his disciples that he met with Elijah and Moses. And although we're not told what the conversation uh, was about, we know that Jesus came down from the mountain and he immediately, it says, that he set his face toward Jerusalem. 
And in one of the translations that, I, that I've read over the years, it says that Jesus set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. He was a one-focused man directing his journey to Jerusalem. He was on his way to die. He was on his way to the cross. And that was his sole focus to fulfill what he had come to do and to fulfill the desire of his father. I also explained to you last week that that the, the, uh, I think there will be a map in a moment, but it says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly, I think the, the thing moved too fast, but it says that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and then in Luke 13 it said, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. The short journey from Galilee to Jerusalem would have been very easy if he just got across Samaria into Judea. But we are told that the Samaritans did not receive Jesus. He has sent his disciples ahead to prepare his way to every city, every town that he was going to, but the Samaritans would not receive him because they knew he was going to Jerusalem and he didn't want to, they didn't want to do anything that would help him in his journey. They did not like the Jews and Samaritans and Jews had a problem. So as you can see in the map, he cuts from Galilee, he goes to the eastern side of the Jordan River to the eastern side, and he eventually comes into Judea from the east, coming to Jericho. From Jericho, eventually, he'll come to the city of Bethany. From Bethany, eventually, he goes to where the Garden of Gethsemane is, and then down the Garden of Gethsemane, there is a valley called the, the Kidron Valley, and then up into the Temple Mount on the other side, which is where the temple was built. And that's the journey that Jesus was taking. As he goes east to the Jordan is where he meets a number of people. And last week we saw that he met a particular lawyer. Remember the lawyer? And the lawyer asked Jesus, How, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him that he needs to love God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and he needs to love his neighbor as himself. And then the lawyer asks, And who's my neighbor? And the question was more, not, not so much who is my neighbor, but who is not my neighbor. Because it says that he wanted to justify himself. Who could he hate, or who could he not serve and be justified, and who could he serve and still enter heaven? And that's where Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to repeat everything, but I just want you to understand that the story of the Good Samaritan is not just a fictitious story 
about a man from Jerusalem who falls among robbers, which it is, but it really is the story of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who comes down from heaven to rescue us who are broken and wounded by life, by disappointments, by so many things that we experience in life. I don't know a human being that don't have some brokenness within them, some suffering, some pain, some scars, which have formed who we are. And ultimately, Jesus is that good Samaritan that comes and gives everything he has, his time, his life, his blood, in order to bring healing to the broken. And that's why he's going to Jerusalem. And I I just want you to focus on that. Today, we see another story of what happens in that journey through the eastern side of Samaria and Judea. Exactly where these stories occur in the journey is too difficult to tell, because the Gospels don't tell us what village or what city he came to. It just says that he came to a certain village. He came to a certain village. Now, we know this Mary and Martha. We know them, they're mentioned as a family at least three times. They're mentioned here in Luke. They're mentioned again in John when Jesus comes to their house and they find out that their brother Lazarus is dead and he goes to the tomb and raises Lazarus. And then we meet them one more time when Jesus comes to dinner at their house and Mary takes a flask of perfume oil and breaks it and anoints Jesus. So we know that Jesus has this relationship with this family. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I don't know and I can't tell you whether this story happens in Bethany. It doesn't seem to me that it does. It may have happened that Mary and Martha had another house somewhere while Lazarus lived in Bethany. And when he got sick, he came, they came down to, uh, to the house in Bethany. Certainly what we know is that Jesus is not yet in Jericho. So it is as he's traveling through the eastern side of the Jordan River that they come to this particular city and or he comes with his disciples to this particular town and he goes into the house of Mary and Martha. Martha seems to be the older sister. And the reason that I might say that she's the older sister is for two reasons. One, the gospel tells us that she welcomed Jesus to her house. It doesn't say to our house. It says to her house. So she may have been the older sister, but also her behavior seems to be the behavior of an older sister who has to take care of everything in the house. The one that everybody looks to, 
the one that seems to have the responsibility of all that goes on in the house, while Mary just seems to sit there and just be listening to Jesus. But we'll get to Mary later. So Martha seems to have all the qualities of somebody extremely responsible, extremely in charge, and perhaps a bit of a perfectionist. And everything has to work in accordance to what's the best she can do for the guests that have come to her house. And so she gets very, very busy preparing everything for the meal for her guests. I want to make sure that we understand that this story in the life of Jesus, this event in the life of Jesus, but also in the event of, in, in the life of Mara and, uh, Martha and Mary, has nothing to do with one being saved and the other one not being saved. Let's just put some of these things aside right away. This has nothing to do with one being saved and the other one not being saved. It has nothing to do with one being more faithful than the other. It has nothing to do with one believing more than the other. It has nothing to do with one being more converted than the other or more mature than the other. It has nothing to do with these things. It also has nothing to do with loving Jesus, one loving Jesus more than the other. Or Jesus loving more one than the other. The story really is about the fact that all Christians, all believers, are different. We have different characteristics, different personalities, different ways of doing things. And as I will tell you in a moment, they each were worshiping Jesus, but in their own style. I think Martha was worshiping the way that she knew how to worship him and make him feel very special in her home. While Mary was worshiping in a different way. Everyone in this church today is different. Our approach to God is different. Some of us are doers. Other others of us may be very prayerful and, and love devotion. And, and I, for one, I love hermetism. I mean, I, I would love to just be on a mountaintop just praising Jesus with my Bible and reading my other books and studying and nobody bother me. I love that. I, I love going on retreats and just spending all my time reading. Other people would go crazy. Going to a retreat house and not having a phone with them, or not being on the internet, or just having to be quiet. We are all different. Some of us are doers, and we want to be out there in the community, and we want to be out there and be active for the Lord, while others are less that way and more prayerful. I think this event in, in their life, this 
this um, view of a home with two sisters, one and the other different from each other in how they do things. The event is actually an issue of two believers approaching life and Jesus in different ways according to their characters and their priorities. But beyond Martha and Mary, this story is about the reality of two kingdoms. It's the reality of two worlds. We live in the world, we live on this earth, we live in the world, and there are certain pressures and preoccupations and concerns that tend to get a hold of who we are, whether we like it or not. And yet there is another world and another kingdom that is eternal and long-lasting, and some of us here pay more attention to the worldly necessities of life than to the kingdom of God. If I were to look at your schedules, if I were to have an open door to your schedules, I guarantee you that all of you spend more time on the issues of this world than in the issues of God. And when you are asked to do more, you say you can't because you have so many other things to do. I think it is a reality that we live in a constant spiritual battle within ourselves and outside of ourselves between these two kingdoms and these two realities. The necessity to provide and sometimes the rat race and the competition between us or, or between people and the reality that we all want to grow closer and closer to God And yes, sometimes we don't give it all the time that we need to. We just think that coming to church on Sundays is enough, and we're going to get it all from Father Jose, and I don't have to do any more. How many times does our prayer life go by the wayside in the mornings? And yet we'll never forget to go to work and get the traffic, and do everything we need to accomplish, and even if we have to come home late, but we've got to accomplish the rat race. It is the reality that Jesus is bringing to us in this story of the battle in our lives for the here and now and the yet to come. The battle between the things that are passing away and we're giving all the attention to it and the kingdom of God and the eternal stuff that we sometimes don't give enough attention to. So we have the story of Martha and Mary. And Martha is very busy, perhaps she feels overburdened, perhaps she feels that she as the older sister is the one responsible, 
But Jesus comes to the house, he's a friend, she's a host, and she gets so busy preparing every possible thing that she can prepare for Jesus. See, see, Martha wants to put the best plates on the table. She wants to prepare the best food. She wants to make sure everything in that house is perfect because it is the way that she wants Jesus to be honored in her house. I can imagine in my picture of my, in my head the pants hitting each other and, and, and the glass with each other and, and preparing this and preparing that and moving here and moving there while Jesus is over there with the disciples and Mary is just sitting at his feet. And I, I, can, I can see that she's getting really upset. And I can see that maybe she's beginning to hit the pants a little louder. And she's beginning to move the table here and the chairs there. And she's getting really hot under the collar. I, I can imagine someone who's upset and don't want to say anything, but is acting out. And Mary, Mary could care less. And eventually, Martha has had it, and she comes to Jesus and she says, Don't you care how much I'm working here? Tell my sister to come and help me. Can you imagine Martha telling the Lord what to do? <laughs> Tell my sister to come and help me here. She's had it. And Jesus' response is, Martha, Martha. You're so busy trying to provide when only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken from her. You see, partly what's going on here is that Martha wants to bless Jesus by doing things for him. Mary is rather focused on her receiving from Jesus, not giving to Jesus. Mary wants to receive from Jesus. She wants to be like a sponge. She, she doesn't know how many more days Jesus might be there. She doesn't know if she's going to see Jesus again. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Mary sits at his feet, and she just wants to receive. And she doesn't want one single word from Jesus to fall on deaf ears. She's focused on that. Jesus seems to say that she has chosen the best part. The reality is that the meal would have, Jesus says, one thing is enough. Maybe it's not such an elaborate thing that we need. Just one plate of soup would have been enough. 
one thing is enough. I think the story brings to, to our heart the idea that we get so busy living this life when everything is going to pass away anyways. We put all our effort, all our energy, all our wisdom, all our intelligence, all our purpose, all our intentions on so many things about this life. And I don't think God is against doing and against serving and against providing, but not at the expense of the kingdom. And kingdom living, not just kingdom because it's eternal life. Eternal life begins here and now. Eternal life is not just when we die. Eternal life is how we live today in the world in which we live, but with a kingdom focus. With a focus on what's godly. A focus of how we serve God, please God, with the life we have. I think it's very easy to take a look at this story and judge Martha. And we would be wrong. This is not about judgment of Martha. This is about the reality that there are priorities in this life we have been given to live. And yes, there's part of it which is to provide and to do and to go out there and to be active. But there is a part which is about devotion to God, coming to God, wanting from God, giving ourselves to receiving from God. So then we can go out into the world and do the things we need to do. I think that Marthas are necessary. How many of you think Marthas are necessary? I think Marthas are important. In a family, Marthas are important. And they worship the way they do, but they also drive themselves into the ground at times. Trying to do more than is actually necessary. They feel the responsibility. Perhaps... If things don't work the way they should, it looks bad on them. Oh, the problems that we all face when we try to live in accordance to somebody else's judgment. The troubles we get into. The perfectionism. Look at me, how much I do. Tell me you love me. I think the Marthas are needed... But I think the Marys are needed as well. And I think the reality is that in our lives, we need a combination of the two. We need us to become Martha Marys. Martha slash Marys. I think we need to be active for the kingdom. I don't think that we should live our life seat, seated at the feet of Jesus, just receiving, 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 and doing nothing while somebody else does all the work. And we should not be doing all the work at the expense of sitting at the feet of Jesus 
and learning from Him so that we can be more effective servants with a new attitude, with a new heart, with a new purpose that is God-glorifying. I think the two things are needed. We have in this story two sisters, two worlds, two kingdoms, two purposes, two decisions. One of the things that one of the things that we have in our new members class and some of you may have become members long long time ago or maybe you never went through the class and you became members just by being long time members but one of the things that, that we have in mind and that we teach at St. Davis is what we call the, the baseball diamond. And, and we are in, uh, we are in ba- baseball season. And uh, one of the things we have is the baseball diamond. And if you know anything about baseball, you know that there's first base, second base, third base, and home base. First base is, is knowing Jesus. First base is coming to know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And that's where a new believer begins. Coming to know that Jesus is Lord. If you already have attained to first base, then you know that Jesus is Lord of your life. But second base is what we have termed maturity. We cannot just stay at the basic, I know Jesus is Lord of my life, and not grow from there. We all need to mature. We need to learn the Word. We need to be part of Bible studies, whether it's by ourselves or with a group. We need to be reading books that grow us, where we can sit at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus teaches us. We need to be part of the men's group, women's group, other events that help us to mature in what it means to be a believer. We cannot stay baby believers. That's second base. Then third base is what we call mission and ministry. Once you are maturing in the Lord, once you are growing as a believer... You need to figure out what are your gifts. What are your spiritual gifts? What is the call of God in your life? What does God, where does God want to use you? What are your talents? What are the things that you bring to the kingdom? Yourself, what have you studied? What do you know? Are you a leader? Are you a teacher? Are you, in what ways has God made you capable to be used in the kingdom? And you've got to move from second base to third base. That's where you get involved in ministry. And I've always said to you that really Christians should not be pew warmers. All of us need to find a place where we are usable by God and using the things that have matured us. You cannot stay on second base. And third base, then you come home 
And that's where you score a run. Right, Tom? <laughs> that's where the Dodgers win. <laughs> See? <laughs> Not last night, okay. But the reality is that when you play baseball, the only way that you can score for the kingdom of God is by running all the bases. There is no credit for people left on base. Right? There is no credit in the game of baseball. You can have the bases loaded, but you come to three outs, that's it. You did not score. And in the Christian life, we all need to score if we're going to win for the kingdom. We need to run all the bases. We need to know Jesus. We need to mature in Jesus. We have to become servants of Jesus and servant of the people of Jesus. And then we score. Now, I can have something like this and put each of your names in a piece of paper and say, okay, this is where such and such is. How do I move them from second base to third base? Or how do I move somebody from first base to second base? But the reality is you should look at this and say to yourself, where am I on this diamond? Where am I? Am I stuck on learning and learning and learning? When am I ready to move to service? When am I ready to serve, to use the gifting of God? Where where am I in this diamond? Because the reality is the decision between Martha and Mary is the decision of the two kingdoms, is the decision of someone who's a doer, and the other one is a listener, a receiver. And I think what we need is both things. If you judge Martha harshly, I think you've missed the point of the story. If you judge Mary and say that she's a no good who leaves everything to the older sister, then you're also missing the story. I think the fact is that all of us are caught in this life of busyness, and when do we give God time in our lives? Do we give him priority? Do we give him quality time? Do we want to grow in the knowledge of God so that then we can be Martha's with a different attitude, a different heart, and a different uh, intention? Mary and Martha. Eventually, this is the same Mary that Jesus visits the house, and she comes and she starts crying at the feet of Jesus and pours the most expensive perfume she has on him and washes his feet. Because that's the Mary heart. And yet, who comes to, to Jesus when Lazarus is dead? It's Martha who runs to Jesus first. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It is to Martha that Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Your brother will rise again. Yes, Lord, I know when the end comes. He says, no, I am right here, right now, the resurrection and the life. It is to Martha that he gives some of the greatest revelations. 
They're both worshipers in different ways. But I think we need to meet somewhere in the middle. And the doers need to spend more time in devotion. And, devotion, and those that are devoted to, to learning need to get up and go do some stuff for the kingdom of God. Somewhere in this Martha Mary is where we all need to live. Not in the opposite poles, but somewhere in the middle. Martha, Martha, you are so busy preparing so many things. Only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen the best part. She has chosen the best part, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, I think the issue here is that Martha really is not the host. Jesus is the host, the host of the kingdom. She may be the host of the house, but Jesus is bringing them into the kingdom. He is the host, and they're being invited to come into the kingdom. There's a role reversal here. And they're both being invited to come into the full knowledge of who he is and how to serve him in this world. Now, this story, though short, may leave you with a great deal of questions, and maybe you want to meet with me afterwards and tell me your thoughts. I invite it. If any of you have a different view or, or you want to add, please talk to me after the service. And tell me, Father Jose, did you consider this? Did you consider that? Or an idea came to me. What do you think of this? I welcome it. You can even discuss it with each other. Nothing better than brothers and sisters talking about the Word of God. So I invite that to happen. Are you a Martha? Maybe you should become more a Mary. Are you a Mary? Maybe you need to become a little bit more a Martha. All things in this life are passing away. The meal, in a few hours, will have been done. That's it. Done. And yet what Mary was receiving would be for eternal life. It had eternal repercussions. And so she gave herself to listening and receiving and giving herself to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, please.